Are you familiar with the phrase, uh, an eye for an eye? I am. I really hope that's not true. Or the thing, you know, the uh, an eye for an eye makes the world blind. I really hope pe- my Roomba believes in that. Because to... So I sent you a picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Wally has undergone uh, a little bit of modification. Because he, he, he was re- he's a really nervous guy. And he, he, he really doesn't like the, the cushioned mat I have in front of my stove and sink. <laughs> so... Uh-huh. Because he always he 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 will cry out when I'm at work saying that he he's stuck in a cliff and he needs help and and I unfortunately I just can't can't drive home and to to deal with it. So unfortunately, on the Roombas there are uh, between four and six uh, cliff sensors on the side that will be used to like tell if he's going to go off the stairs or something. But since I live on a one floor apartment and the biggest actually I'm thinking well there are probably two floor apartments. Um, because the, the highest height he could possibly fall off of is this, uh, three centimeter tall cushioned mat thing. Uh, I, I think it's safe. So he, he unfortunately has been blinded. He, he's been made fearless <laughs> because now he, I don't think it's changed the, um, speed with which he'll bump into things, but he, uh, he is very fearless around the mat now. So that's, that's. Uh, fun to see and he's only gotten stuck like once out of the last six times he's been run i feel like this could be a new recurring segment for us like which modification you've done to your roomba this week well what's what's the other one i think this is you the only one the, I'm, I'm... Uh, you put the the bumper tape around it oh but that was yeah but that's because i had um a, a cable routing project where i actually like spray painted and, and like color matched with the walls some some stuff because i have like my because all the this, this is not interesting it doesn't matter but yeah, i was afraid that he was going to bump into that and destroy that hard work so yeah but the, but the the cushion tape is actually really smart because sometimes he 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 will go for it he's he's had a couple instances with the stump and with and with the trash can where he, he he seems to be very upset you know some some people like to modify cars other people like to modify roombas i mean whatever makes you happy I'm just solving problems here. Mm-hmm. Yep. A pro- problem solver. We we put that in the uh, the show notes, don't we, for you? Or like the description of you? What? Isn't that, isn't that like, isn't that in your bio? You're, you're a problem solver? What, it, what, uh, what is mine? I think I'm... I'm hold <laughs> on, um, workspace directory, there's only two. Master of Mimosas? Is no, that I am... Is in there for you? I'm EVP of podcast quality. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um. So yeah, so that that's pretty good. Um, I do. It really feels like there should be a set, um, a setting inside the uh, the Wally app, the Roomba app, to specify that you live on a one story um place where there are no cliffs. We're just in software; you can turn that stuff off. Because apparently, this is actually a sanctioned and recommended modification from the iRobot company. Where if you call tech support and you're like, "Oh yeah, my my Roomba's afraid of of cliffs that don't exist," that they'll just tell you to take a piece of paper. <laughs> uh put uh put uh shipping tape on both sides so that it reflects back the IR sensors um so it's so it's not afraid anymore <laughs> that's high top notch uh customer service well no that's smart and, and actually that's the one thing that's the reason why when you talked to the to the robot vacuum cleaner like i did some research and i and i looked at the wire cutter and and i i looked at a lot of stuff and there are other brands that are allegedly better sometimes but um 
iRobot seems to actually support the tinkering community and then people want to like hack and modify the Roombas. So I, I'm super on board with that. They're kind of like the Philips Hue of smart robot vacuum cleaners. Yeah. Yeah. Friends of iRobot. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, I mean, your solution's a lot more clever than ours. We have a couple of uh, rugs and bath mats, which our Roomba always gets stuck on. And our solution is just to pick those up <laughs> before we run it. Oh, okay. Because I was very happy you didn't say your solution was to buy more lighthouses. Because I'm not going to budge on that. No, yeah. We we actually don't even... We don't even use the lighthouse that came with this new one. Because it just, it just does the whole house. But... um. And we have a lighthouse from the the old Roomba that we use just to put in front of the console table. Because I told my my story about our our poor first Roomba, which got stuck under there its first cleaning cycle. Oh, little guy. So yeah, so that's so uh so this is robot corner. So I have another piece um of robot follow out, whatever. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I was at that beta store. You, you, you've been here, right? A couple I, times. I've, yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever actually been inside of it, but I have passed by. And I always, I always think of you when I pass by. Not like in a creepy way, but... So when you're on, like, internet direct-to-consumer row, also known as Hay Street, um, yeah, there's the beta store, and I found the dumbest robot. And this is called... It's called Winbot. I just sent you a, a link to it. And it has one of the, this would not be inside an Amazon four star because if on Amazon, I think it has two out of five stars uh, because apparently it breaks people's windows and it just falls off the window. But apparently if you're somebody who has windows so large that it's so much of a chore to just clean them, you can buy this really dumb robot and it will suction to the window, uh, to the window and clean it for you. Will it though? apparently it won't because yeah if you go to amazon and you please put a link in the show notes and i want to do this inside an incognito window because i don't want amazon screwing my recommendations i'm I'm, I'm not afraid win win bot amazon bring bring on the retargeted ads (laughs) so but if you go to ecobots winbot w930 uh two perfect name two and a half stars two and a half stars but if you look at the you know how people can upload product images there's a lot there's a lot of shattered windows (laughs) which i really really enjoy because if you're buying a robot to clean your windows you kind of deserve a shattered window oh man yeah the very the very first image is someone who's also (laughs) hopefully captioned it pointing to a and they've they've titled it so long crack (laughs) so yeah so um Oh, that kind of made my day because I'm like, I'm like, this is a really dumb thing. And, and I kind of, you know, anybody who, who buys it, oh, wow. And they actually didn't, <laughs> that, but they have uh, like uh, less than long crack because they have a trailing, uh, whatever that thing is called. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Who, who, no, who needs this? Wow. There's a lot of broken <laughs> windows. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't mean to laugh at people's. No, please do, <laughs> because one of these looks like somebody who lives on a golf course. <laughs> so, actually, maybe they're just trying to scapegoat that they were doing like uh, putting practice and and they broke their window and they're trying to blame it on on poor Winbot. Oh, man. Anyway, um, so yeah, that that's 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 uh, those are my two bits of uh, robot follow up that I've been sitting on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bali's pretty good. I'm 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 surprised with how much he he. Um, picks up 
Yeah, we um, had been a little while since we ran ours. So we ran it the other night and then let it charge for a while and then immediately ran it again. Mm -hmm. And it it filled up the bin both times, which (laughs) is alarming. It just, uh, what do you call it, collected a second dog? (laughs) Basically, yeah. Um, Other bit of uh, Roba Wally, or sorry, Roomba follow-up. I'm actually asking the Echo to start it more often than oh, I yeah. I would. Oh, yeah. No, it's um, it's not really all that helpful, but it is just wonderfully delightful. Well, and also just sometimes I don't want to open the app. Like, just as I'm leaving, I'm like, uh, for the day, I'm like, oh, yeah, I should. My downstairs neighbor isn't home, so therefore I don't feel guilty about running it. Um, and, yeah, I, I just ask uh, the Echo to do it. That's pretty good. The other thing that's really fun, too, that I... I did the other night when we were running it just, just for fun, not for any particular reason, was you can ask the lady in a can to have it go home. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so mm-hmm. you do you do that, and, you know, she does okay, and then you hear the delightful little beep, beep, beep from the robot, and then it goes home. Mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing. Yeah. And it's always good to hear its triumphant sound that it made it home to recharge. And I guess, I, I forget, does yours have the... Does it map out where it goes? Like, no. It, okay. Yeah, because like I guess so. What I what I was amazed about ours because like, you know, with the older Roomba, like the really basic one that we had before, you could tap the cleaning button when it was in motion, or maybe you tapped it twice, whatever, and that would send it home if it was mid cycle. But like the way that that one went home <laughs> was it basically just bumped its way around the apartment until you know. It got Until it, it sees the infrared signal yeah, from its home base. Exactly. But I, what I was really impressed with our new one is when I did that, I guess it kind of knows where it is in the house because it just like stopped on a dime and just immediately went back to the base. I thought that was pretty neat. So yours must be one of the ones that has the V-slam in it. The, I'm sorry, what'd you call me? The... Uh, as I said, the, whenever we initially <laughs> talked about it, I'm pretty deep in the stack on on Roomba stuff. I, so. I actually was. I actually had it in my notes here to to comment that yeah, you've gone really deep down the Roomba rabbit hole, which which you know that's it's very much old Carlos, which I really like. Well, it's your fault, and then it's also fucking Mike Hurley and and and. Um, Although true true old Carlos would go out and buy that thousand dollar one. That no, but but that's the thing. Itself. I'm <laughs> I'm thrifty, new uh, new new and revised and and improved. Carlos 2.0. Um, <laughs> <no. laughs> spelled um, spelled without an O for some reason, but you know. So so VSLAM is uh it stands for, if I remember, virtual simultaneous location mapping, something like that. I think that checks out, okay. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, simultaneous location and mapping technology. Um so yeah, it, it creates uh, a map of your location based off of unknown data and and just keeps it on the inside. So what which you have the Roomba 780? Well, we we have we have the it's a Costco specific model that's based on one of the other models. I thought it might have been one I thought it might have been like the based on the 980. Look at you. Do you have the Roomba i7? No, 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 no. We don't have like one of the really fancy ones. I, I want to say it's like the 980, and but then like the Costco model is the 985. But it's like it's literally just you know the same model, but just for Costco. Yeah, that that is that is what we have. Yeah, yeah. And it it doesn't have the thing that the newer ones, I guess, like the i7 have, where 
it uses its mapping technology to make it so that you can tell it to clean specific rooms. It, it doesn't have that, but when Aww. it's when it's done with the cleaning cycle, I can look at the app and there's like a little map of where it cleaned, which is you know kind of like the lady in a can skill. It's not mm-hmm. really all that useful, but it's it's kind of neat. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's it. Let's get on to important stuff. Question mark? Because no, this is actually important. This is all frivolous. Um, fifty-five miles of fence. So, what do? Uh, what is it? What's the what's the most frivolous thing we have in here? Uh, well, we can we can give an update on the Raiders. Yeah, but didn't that get retracted almost immediately? Well, that's I think that's kind of part of the story. Okay, so, go for it. So there was a tweet put out. Um, um. Raj Mathai, I guess is is the name. I'm I'm sure I'm I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Um, but he put out what in retrospect was probably a bit of an opportunistic tweet on Super Bowl Sunday. You know, everybody's thinking about football. And I, I I'm I have to think that that was kind of why it was timed the way that it was. Um but but yeah, this ended up not being true. So he had tweeted out that the Raiders were gonna uh, play in eight, at Oracle Park, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then over the course of the next few days, the 49ers who have a right over San Francisco and, and would have to agree to this move had said that they had not agreed to it. Uh, Mayor of San Francisco, London Breed, came out against it, and the whole thing kind of fell apart. So... Um, why would why would you come out against it? Like other other than the like this, I don't like football and I don't want football to occur inside of AT and T Park. Like, is it just that like sixteen weekends a year traffic would be really bad at Mission Bay? Like, what what's what's the objection? I think it's more just standing in solidarity with Oakland because n- no one in this area wants the team to move. And so, but it's already happening, so I don't see. Well, yeah, but <laughs> you can kind of stand in 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 protest. And I, I mean, there, there. I have to imagine there are some logistical reasons too, because, um, like Oracle Park, I don't think is set up very well for football. I mean, they they play some like college bowl games there, but it, for it to be like a regular site for football, I just I don't really think it's it's designed for that. Well, yeah, probably not. But anyway, so kind of, you know, um, kind of a whiplash of a story where it seemed like it was happening, but then it, it kind of kind of quickly fell apart. Yeah. So we got a lot of major stuff this week, so let's, let's blow through some things real quick. So um, last time we talked, which was two weeks ago, that was right when the um, Facebook Onavo certificate revocation thing happened, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a day and a half after the thing came uh, we record the show. They got their certificates back, and pretty much everything is a okay for both Google and Facebook. So, so we were we were talking about this in real time, online, offline. Where my take, and I, th- I think you agreed with it, was you know this was if this drug on, this was going to be probably one of the biggest tech stories of the last ten years. And if it kind of just resolved itself in a day or two, it would just kind of fade away. And I I definitely feel like because it did resolve itself quickly that it was interesting in the moment, but there's not really any kind of lasting implication here. 
Yeah, well, I, I would. I agree and disagree. So, two two real time follow up things. So, well, actually, the first one's not follow up; it's just an observation. The first part is that I think it was mostly, and, and this has become a trend with Apple. It was just um, a display of force and and uh, reminding them that this is something they can do. And even though iOS doesn't have the market share that uh, Android does, it's still an incredibly impressive. In, uh, incredibly important platform, especially in the U.S. and especially with um, some of the more, how do I phrase this? With uh, the more influential and important demographics that people would want to reach. I mean, it's not like iPhone users tend to have a av- higher average annual spend on apps and mobile shopping and that kind of stuff. So, iOS users to a degree are more important. Find a way to clean that up in editing, but like it, more. It matters more. So, <clears throat> so they can't decide to abandon iOS or anything like that. But I think them, like Apple, checking them on what they can do and that they ultimately do have that power, uh, that that was fairly important to the point where you even saw that um, Google, who had um, that screen-wise uh, pilot program that did many of the same things, uh, even before Apple revoked their certificate, um, they pulled the app almost immediately when they saw that uh, TechCrunch had written about Facebook, and they're like, oh, shit, we, we probably shouldn't do that. And then the other part is that um, I don't have a link to it, but I'm sure you will helpfully find it. Uh, TechCrunch had another thing the today or yesterday where um, enterprise certificates are being abused all over the place, and they are being used to distribute applications that aren't allowed on the App Store, such as things that involve uh, pornography and gambling and the other stuff that Apple has said is unwelcome on um, on the App Store. So apparently it's not just the gigantic companies uh, that are abusing this. It's also uh, smaller ones who just use that as an unauthorized way to uh, sideload apps onto iOS devices. So I, I think it does have further reaching implications and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the news cycle is moving so quickly that for those two specific companies, I I think it, it ended up being more of a blip than anything else. And it was more of a, just Facebook's kind of scummy and this is something scummy they do. And, you know, in 18 months, we'll probably be back in the same spot. I guess, I mean, one takeaway for me was I, I was not aware that there was this widespread method to sideload apps. Now, I get that the intent is for like an internal, you know, for internal organization use. But I, I was always under the impression that literally the one and only way you could load an app that wasn't in the App Store was through the test flight program, which my understanding is Apple's, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that's that's the way that basically developers can beta test their apps with like a small group of people. So I, I knew there was like a way to sideload apps that way, but I I had never even heard of this uh, enterprise certificate program before. So I guess that's been the big takeaway for me is just kind of learning that this existed because I've I've never been part of a company that utilized this. I've only ever used enterprise apps that you just, you know, you literally go and download in the app store like you do many other app. No, yeah, I mean it, it's pretty common like most most major companies will do it and there's also um MDM companies like Mobile Iron um who make really bad software that can uh, create um private corporate app stores where it centralizes things kind of like um a different app store but where everything is released through your it department and is um sideloaded in that exact same way but that's what the sanctioned use is 
where if you were IBM or something and you have 90,000 employees or something, but you don't need or want every internal application to be public on the app store. Like even if you made it so that people couldn't log into it, um, there's just no need for it to be on the, to be on the public app store or to be subject to Apple's app review. Right. Yeah. Um, so there was that. And then Sonos uh, took a hit after their CFO said that he was leaving. Meh. Um, the only reason I, I put that in there is that the, the smart speaker space is um, increasingly interesting. And Sonos seemed like an interesting case because they just went public like nine months ago and still seemed fairly niche as a company. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what you and I talked about in the moment was, and I'm, you know, I've over the last year become a Sonos fan after being largely ambivalent towards them, just having not owned any of their products, but now having a few of their speakers in the house and being really, really happy with them and, and kind of wanting them to succeed. Even from that perspective, I was kind of skeptical about how they do in the public market and specifically in, you know, the kind of technology focused public market where it's, you know, it's growth, 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 just ask Apple, which <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll probably get to here in a little bit. Um, so what, what I'm saying is I'm looking forward to Sonos's upcoming video service. Yeah, it's just, and this is more of a philosophical thing about uh, like just corporate America or like just global corporations where it's, it's, it's impossible to have a, a just a nice profitable company these days right if it's not hyper growth then then you're 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 dead or you're dying or what's the dumb thing if the shark doesn't keep moving forward or yeah some, something like that yeah you're you're the you're the expressions guy not me what uh, okay that's gonna bug me for a while okay <laughs> um is it the sharks can't swim backwards <laughs> shark? don't think so hold on shark moving forward god I'll, I'll look this up can you talk about something while i google this <laughs> <laughs> um we'll put a we'll put a, a link in the notes we on the last program talked about the casper glow and i i guess at the time we talked about it it maybe it was only available for pre-order or like it had literally just come out and there weren't any reviews there are now a handful of reviews we'll put the uh, verges uh take in the notes uh overall i guess it seems like it's got some neat neat aspects puts off a nice light but ultimately because it's not wi-fi connected or in any other way smart uh it it just kind of is a ends up being kind of a, a basic device which you know for 90 bucks is kind of a big ask which i, I guess maybe i guess maybe the other reason that i put this in the notes is you know as someone who's gotten <laughs> real deep in the hue ecosystem mm -hmm. i am kind of intrigued with the idea of having standalone smart lights like this and, and hue actually makes more and more of these now yeah please um, buy the hue go or hue bloom for me please and tell me how it is yeah i've 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 considered it um but part of the problem is is style right because like what's obviously great about the hue bulbs is you just literally put them like in our case we have recessed lighting throughout the house so you know i literally just put the bulbs inside of our little um, cans in the ceiling or you can put them in your existing bedside, you know, table lights or whatever. But the, the standalone units, just they're a little funky looking, which I, I actually kind of think this Casper Glow is too. And it just, it doesn't really fit the rest of our aesthetic. 
So it's not transitional enough. It's not transitional enough. No, Joanna would not approve. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the the a lot of the hue lights. I mean, they've they they've updated some of them, but the hue go and the hue bloom have kind of a twenty or a two thousand eight Apple aesthetic. Yeah, that that that's that's a good analogy. Yeah, so I'm I'm not sure it matches today. So. That's okay. Um, I am kind of I uh, I'm I'm as we've discussed many times. I'm fairly anti Casper, um, but I actually think it's, I don't think it's out- outrageously priced, and I think it makes sense for it not to be a smart device. I just think there's a lot of things, especially if it's relating to sleep. Like, isn't the whole point that you're supposed to shut off your brain? And if you're talking to your Echo to tell your bedside like relaxation lamp to turn, like I I think the fact that it's not smart. And has just kind of gyros like physical like gyroscope like things to increase and decrease the brightness. I think that's plenty. Speaking of smart lights and sleep, are you were you the one that told me about the whole like you can use your hue lights to like wake yourself up in the morning? Oh yeah, I I, I try I tried that and just really don't like it. Why? It's just or the, I mean it's it's okay, but well, how do you have it set up? Or how did you try to have it set up? Well, it, it does the whole fade in thing, right? So, yeah, like if you just at like six thirty at over fifteen minutes, if it just fades, like that's. Mm. I mean, I don't know. Maybe um, it would be nicer if I had the color lights and they could produce a more, I don't know, friendly light. But even, um, well, I guess actually, is there even an option to change like the color temperature? I don't. I don't think there is, because I like my problem was that the light just ended up being too harsh. Yeah, I think you can specify how bright you want them to end up at. Like you can say it fades in, but to fifty percent brightness. Because yeah, if it if it was a hundred percent, then yeah, when you woke up, you would just be all red eyed. I didn't try it for very long. Maybe I need to mess with it a bit more. But yeah. but actually, real time follow up. I think I've actually turned that off now that I like ever since I moved and I have a much bigger window where just natural light just wakes me up. Well, that's okay. Yeah, I mean that's the other part too. Is yeah, we have some nice windows in the bedroom, and yeah, I don't know. I just I found it not to be um, uh, yeah, just not a very pleasant experience. I don't know why I thought that meant Microsoft Windows, but it's only, <laughs> only funny to me. Uh, yeah. Okay, so that's all right. Um. Uh, is that Apple, all? Is that all the fu? Yeah, because a lot of this follow up is related to Apple being dumb. So we'll get to that. So the, should we is it, should we transition to that as like a hybrid follow up slash new topic? There's, there's kind of a lot to talk about, right? <sighs> Man, there's a lot of stuff in this outline. So let's um, so let, let's let's recap what's going on with Apple's upcoming video service, which you know long term listeners will know how excited you are about that and how optimistic you are and and, and all that good stuff. Please do. Um, so I guess I've actually never really tried to say his last name out out loud. Uh, John P- Pitzowski is that how do you pronounce it? Do you know Patch Patchkowski? Patchkowski. Sorry, without granola. <laughs> he put out a report. He he's real good about kind of getting the the first tip on when an Apple event's going to happen. So as we're recording this last night on uh, February twelfth, he put out a story indicating that Apple was going to hold a services focused event on march 25th but he was sort of vague about what it was going to contain he actually described it as being headlined by the 
news subscription service that's been kind of making its rounds, which I'm sure we'll get to here in a moment. Um, and he explicitly calls out in the article that he was unsure about whether or not uh, their long-rumored video service was going to be uh, revealed. But then earlier today, uh, Mark Gurman came out with his own story, which was <laughs> quite a bit more fleshed out and indicated that not only was Apple going to headline the event with their video service, they were going to announce its launch date. They have a list of specific celebrities which have been invited to attend. Um, so German seems like he's kind of out out scooped. Um, uh, God, how do you how do you say the name again? Pachkowski. Pachkowski. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but anyway, that that's all. That's all kind of the meta stuff. Um, but I, I want which I guess if we're going to keep it meta here for a minute. One thing that's kind of funny reading German's article today was it, I felt like it. I, I've almost read the article in the past just because of how plugged in Jason and Mike have been in their upstream segment of Upgrade. Like, I'm pretty sure there was an episode a month or two ago where like Jason literally spelled out like exactly how he thought they were going to announce the service and it was literally this it was like they're going to have this presentation and they're going to bring out some celebrities who are participating i feel like jason's just kind of nailed this thing top to bottom well so jason is plugged in and he's also got the advantage of uh tim goodman who he does a, a pop culture podcast with who's worked for the is it either entertainment weekly or the hollywood reporter so he's he's really into the hollywood world but the thing is um what I think Jason and some other people predicted was that they would do a Hollywood-based event where maybe I'm mixing rumors, but isn't this happening on the Apple campus? Yeah, this is. I think this is going to be the first public non-iPhone event at the Steve Jobs Theater. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a few things here. So this speaks to the greater um, services narrative and that kind of stuff where... Apple has been long rumored uh, to be making this video service, and a month ago we covered the fact that they were there were rumors that they were telling video partners to hey be ready by like uh, early April to get all your stuff ready so we can we can launch this thing. So yeah, so I guess it's the question of like I don't I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about with the presentation other than it's going to happen and it's maybe happening slightly sooner than people thought. But it's it's going to be a, kind of like a twofold thing, which is it's going to be uh, a news based product which coincides with their acquisition of texture um like 18 months ago uh which was a subscription magazine uh company and the video service that they're releasing uh oddly timed with uh disney plus's impending release so we've talked at like we've talked it to death about whether apple should be making a video service or not so that that's that's not that important um I well, do you have anything on that, or do you think do you agree that the news part of it is the more interesting thing? The news, the news part of it's the more interesting part. One real time correction is so German didn't actually have the release date in his article. Uh, that it was in the CNBC article, which we'll also put in the notes, which also got into the Netflix and and um, HBO portion of this, which is maybe what you're pivoting here to. Well, actually, you know, let's let's talk about that real quick cuz since we're going to put to to avoid any anger, we're going to put away, put aside the video thing for a minute. In the CNBC, let me go up to the other thing. 
the other channel. Yeah, so CNBC has an article, Apple's targeting um, April to launch its new video service, and Netflix won't be a part of it, and HBO is in doubt. So my understanding, so that implies that Apple is going to have a first-party original video service, and are they going to simultaneously launch an Amazon Prime Video Channels-style service? Or is this, let's pretend Netflix was going to play ball, that Netflix would have been included in like some premium tier of Apple Video? Well, I guess one of the reasons I'm so confused about this CNBC article is because its sort of description of how this video service is going to work is just so contrary to how I think it's going to work, which is largely shaped by what Jason and Mike have been talking about, like we just mentioned, where... So CNBC's take is that there's going to be sort of two parts to the service. There's going to be Apple's original content, which they're saying is going to be free for Apple device owners, which I I just don't think that's accurate or might be accurate in the sense that maybe some of that content is free or there's some kind of free trial, but like not, not in perpetuity for all of Apple's original content. But that's kind of what's being described here. And then the other part of it's going to be a platform to subscribe to other digital media services, which is where like HBO, Netflix, and and Hulu all fit in. So this but actually that, that I don't like I don't know if I don't know if that's really gonna be what Apple talks a lot about either. I mean, don't they don't they kind of already have doesn't the TV app already kind of do that? So so that that's exactly the point. Yeah. Where so I I, I agree where the <clears throat> Where they're probably going to make Apple T uh, Apple Video free for a while if you have active iOS devices, because they just won't have enough content to justify charging ten bucks out of the gate and starting out and saying, "Hey, this is five dollars," and gradually creeping up there to like thirteen or whatever they actually want it to be. I, I don't think that's really uh, something that they're going to do. But yeah, I don't think it's been rumored a ton that they're going to be doing an Amazon style like we are like. We are Comcast, like where we're going to be the the platform through which you buy premium content. And that, and that hasn't been rumored a ton, but that actually makes it like so much sense because that's what Apple thought the TV app was going to be. Like, do you remember two years ago when like they renamed it TVOS and then they remapped what the button on the TV remote did and there was now this weird TV app that nobody wanted to put content inside of? Right. Yeah, like so that's what they want. Like they want the TV app to actually feature content that people want. And if they can be the one that says, "Hey, you don't even have to go to the App Store." Because guess what? The future of TV actually wasn't apps. So, you're just going to use this built-in TV app that we designed and you're just going to say, "Hey, I'm opting into Netflix. It's going to bill you through your iTunes account and all that content is no longer in a separate application. It's just a tab or um another listing inside of this application." And Apple thinks they can be the new cable company, and because it's Apple, they can skim a whole fuck ton off the top because that's their that's their new bread and butter is kind of just being a middleman, and they can just have people pick and choose like I want Stars, I want HBO, I want Netflix, and I want Hulu, and I now have this weird thirty seven dollar a month bill from Apple, and they take thirty percent or whatever. So I think that actually makes a ton of sense, and that's where. Amazon Prime Video, who has um, sponsored a few podcasts recently, has been heavily advertising their channels platform, 
where you can subscribe and all that kind of stuff through your Amazon account and you don't have to go set up a separate thing at Hulu to sign up for that service. So I think that does make a lot of sense and it really speaks to Apple just wanting money for nothing. Well, so that, but, but okay, so I'm going to kind of latch on to that last point because I do think what you're describing makes sense for small to maybe even like mid-sized video platforms which want to expand their audience and who would have a difficult time reaching a broader audience without a platform like Apple's. But for the Netflixes and Hulus and HBOs of the world, you know, even if they were, even if Apple were to give them uber favor, favorable commercial terms, like, I don't know, Apple only takes 5% of <laughs> revenue or some, something, you know. Add a zero. Yeah. Um, I still don't really see what's in it for them because they, they, they've kind of reached that, um, I mean, I hate to do this, but it's just kind of what I think of. Like they've reached this like Facebook level of ubiquity <laughs> where regardless of how into technology you are, you know about these services. So like if, if I'm Netflix, like what user am I connecting with by being on Apple's platform that I wouldn't otherwise already get? And maybe maybe I'm being a, maybe I'm being a little naive because you know Net- Netflix is the top grossing app on the App Store, so clearly there's something to having even Netflix be available through Apple's system. But I'm still a little skeptical. So so it's a yes and no type thing. So this actually relates to a couple of stories that have happened recently. So I, I would push back on the HBO part of it. Because you can still sign up for HBO Now, I think is the one that doesn't come with cable, that you can sign up for that through your iTunes account. Like if you download the HBO Now app through, um, like on your Apple TV and you launch it and you don't, you're not already a subscriber, like you're prompted to sign up and have it built through iTunes. So I think they are of a scale. But again, that that deal was struck before they got acquired by AT and T through the the Time Warner merger. But like, I, I think it still makes sense for a company of that size that has premium content that they want people to buy and they want to make it easy for them to do so. But then you go to the the Netflix story where you're absolutely right, where they have nothing to gain from this because they're a company where like they, like they it's it's like I I think you brought this up, but it was related to something else. Actually, you brought this up related to grocery stores, but yeah, like uh, Netflix is like the the Coca Cola of online video, where they're just like so, like uh, Netflix is not Spindrift. Like they're they're a small player, and they would it would make sense for them to be featured inside this application and give some percentage to Apple because like that's their market position and it's they can gain from that exposure, but Netflix doesn't need to do that. And that's the same reason why Netflix is just, they have that new cryptic flow uh, whenever you launch their app now where you, they don't want you to sign up through iOS and, and the App Store because they don't want to give up 30 or 15 or whatever the subscription rate is to Apple because they're big enough where people either probably already have an account or they can Google it and figure it out. And anybody who's confused can tap the call Netflix button and then somebody over the phone can say, hey, go to your computer to sign up. They don't need to pay the Apple tax for that. And for this very reason, 
they don't need to give up anything to Apple and be included inside of their TV app or their TV service because they're just so ubiquitous that they can just download the app. And the same reason why Apple can't really force Netflix off the app store because they don't want to play ball because it's just like my Apple TV is a Netflix box. And sometimes I watch stuff on HBO, but like literally browsing Netflix is all I use it for. And like Apple can't get around that. But also even if having Netflix built into that Apple TV service would be a better thing for consumers, Apple is not going to give them terms that are fair or have any value to to Netflix. Like they're not gaining anything from it, so it's just not going to work out. Yeah, yeah. I this this video service is you know whether you think it's going to work or not, I think is going to be really really interesting. And there's clearly you know this is like the one thing that Apple still can keep some level of secrecy around because obviously there's no supply chain involved. And so I think we're going to look back at a lot of these articles, this CNBC article probably included, and kind of chuckle here in a couple of months being like, eh, that's not really not really what this ended up being. Well, and there's also no precedent for it because right, everything Apple's right. done before has been either reselling somebody else's content or just being a middleman. And right now it's going to be their original content and again, their favorite thing being a middleman. So what if what if what if this is true though? What what if all of this original content we've been hearing about for the last 18 months including content from JJ Abrams and Jennifer Aniston and all these, you know, A-list media folks, what if what if this literally is just all free? I, 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 they, it, I mean, it, there's, it there's no way it's in perpetuity. Gonna, right. Like, it's it's eventually like it's it, they're just going to give a really liberal free trial of it or something. Yeah. Like they're going to say, so this do you, paint- think, you think they do more than three months? Oh, yeah. Really? You think this is going to be free for, well, what do you think? Six months, a year? What do you think? Uh, probably six months. Like it depends on how many shows they have in the catalog. I assume they're going to be like, and we're so excited to have these shows in front of the widest audience possible. Like Eddie Q's up there with his extravagant cuffs. Like he's like, we're giving this to every good, person with an Apple device. Uh, that video, that image of him and Drake, <laughs> combined with the the rumor of him falling asleep in meetings. Like I, I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about this. <laughs> um, he's like, we want everybody to see these amazing shows. We've put so much effort into giving creative freedom to these uh, a listers that we want everybody to see this. And anybody with an Apple device can go to, uh, to uh, can go download Apple Video right now and 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 watch these amazing shows. And we're uh, going to make it free for the next six to twenty uh, six to twelve months. And then once they have a back catalog or they have more deals, where the same thing like with like Amazon Prime Video right now has a deal with HBO where like every HBO series that's like five years or older is just included. So like I assume Apple has to do something like that. And because Disney Plus is coming out, it sure as hell isn't going to be Disney content. So they're they're going to figure it out. Because again, like I just don't see Apple like there's no way they can price it for ten or fifteen dollars out of the gate. And I don't think Apple wants to be in the business of lowballing the value of their content and then a year in jacking up the price. 
do you think that the slide that they have that says we've given artists creative freedom is going to have a little asterisk next to it? And then in, in small print, it'll say as long as that content's PG-13 or less. Yeah, no buts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, because even if Apple is super aggressive, we're talking about the video service again, <laughs> but we do this every time. Like even if they uh, like spend a ton of money and they have like nine series or whatever, and they and because the thing is they're not they're gonna roll them out in a staggered way. Like there's no sense in them just debuting with thirteen episodes of nine super expensive series and then just not have anything come out for six months. So I assume they're gonna like launch with two, and then just like every couple of months introduce new stuff, and then eventually they've built up enough content and then that's it that's um that's probably the part that i'm most interested in is what the i mean because i to me like the economics of it eventually i mean whether the trial is three months six months whatever eventually i think the service is going to fit into a very predictable call it 9.99 a month type plan maybe there's some bundles with apple music or whatever Uh, but like the economics of it i think are all going to be ultimately fairly standard but what I what I'm going to be really interested in is the the packaging and the distribution. Where you know is Apple going to follow the Netflix model, where when they release a series, they generally just release all episodes at once. Although Netflix has been kind of playing around with that a little bit more recently. But the kind of classic Netflix model of just here you go, here's the entire season. Or are they going to follow the old model of like one episode a week are they going to do something kind of in between like i know like something that netflix has done which has been kind of interesting is like releasing the first half of a season up front and then having there be some kind of break and then releasing the second half of the season it's like are they going to do something like that um how many of these original programs that we've been hearing about for the last year and a half how many of those are going to be available on day one like what's the strategy around that all of that stuff is what's uh, what's most interesting to me. Yeah, a- Apple can can start working its way into my good graces if if they uh, take an anti binge watching approach. Like I think the ideal way to roll out content like that is give two episodes on the first week and then one episode a week thereafter. I I, I I'm happier that Netflix has been experimenting with that more because I think the drop thirteen episodes at once is a bad strategy. I kind of I kind of like the drop half the season today and then the the second half 3 6 months from now. Yeah, but it it I feel like it does a disservice to a lot of really great creative projects where all of the buzz and all of the enthusiasm about it just goes away in two weekends. I feel like it's kind of a bummer. I yeah, I I agree. Um and actually this is this is applicable to me now as someone who's watching the third season of True Detective on HBO currently. Mm-hmm. Like there is something to the watch an episode, kinda have it end on a somewhat cliffhanger and then like have to wait seven more days until the next episode. Like there there is something to that. Yeah. Yeah. I I I, I yeah, just unless I'm just super anti binge watching unless it's a show you've already seen through and through. Cause you're just not like the, I like all that effort and artistic effort. Yeah. Just effort. Like the writing and the cinematography and all that kind of stuff. Like it's just, it's not worth it if you're just churning through it. Right. Right. 
I guess to, to round this out, like the most obvious point that I feel like I'm, I feel like kind of a dummy for not making just right away, but I mean, not, not to continue to kind of pick at this CNBC article, but like the fact that Apple would give away all of this original content for free forever is just so anti their current strategy, which is continuing to increase average revenue per user per month through services revenue. Like it's kind of it's kind of surprising that like an editor didn't stop at some point and just be like, "Uh, wait a minute, how does this how does this fit into Apple's strategy?" Which I feel like has is now in the spotlight like more than it's ever been over the last couple of weeks. Well, it's because the iPhone's failing. What do you mean? Nothing. I'm just making a joke. Because I, I think it was from Upgrade where it, Jason did make a really good observation where just everything related to services. Uh, actually, no, I think this was Gruber writing on Daring Fireball today, uh, Daring Fireball today, where ever since there was one uh, bad quarter, and it's going to continue that way, but that every single story that's written about anything that Apple's going to do to make money is written as a, like a direct result of iPhone sales slipping. Right. Like they didn't have the intent to do this stuff, even if iPhone sales were continuing like gangbusters. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Apple video service, whatever, we don't need to just... We'll know in about six weeks, it sounds like. Yeah. Yay. So the more important the more appalling and, and uh frustrating part of this is that there this is a, a two a two pronged uh services approach. Where they want to collect money from this, but they also uh because of that texture acquisition, they also want to make a premium Apple News subscription service where you pay however much, probably ten dollars a month, because everything's ten dollars a month in this world until you die. Um, that you pay $10 a month and they give you access to a bunch of magazines and newspapers and that kind of stuff. And that's how Apple plans to save the media, uh, the media landscape. But there was a story this week in, I have no idea. It's been a while. Who, who, who reported this? I'm scrolling backwards. The Wall Street, the Wall Street Journal. Publishers chafe at Apple's terms for subscription news service. So yeah, so Apple... Uh, I don't know who leaked this or what the rumors are, but uh, Apple is asking uh, publishers that are participating in their uh, Netflix for news service that the revenue split is going to probably be a 50-50 split, which is fucking insane. Like, this, the reason this, this bugs me so much is, one, the reason this country this everything is so fucked right now is that uh, nobody wants to pay for news and the and quality reporting is in such short supply sure we have the new york times that's doing extremely well right now and the washington post got a reprieve uh from uh jeff bezos from buying it but they're also doing pretty well like the internet destroyed the market for quality journalism and reporting and it's really hard and really expensive to produce that kind of stuff so this felt like, to me, in an era of, you know, like Facebook is also not helping and big tech is the um, like this soulless industry that doesn't, that they just want to be an aggregator and they don't care about um, like the health of the public discourse and all this stuff. I was like, you know what, like Apple can make a really good service that helps pay for quality journalism and that kind of stuff and make it affordable and prove that there is a way to get people to pay for reporting where there doesn't have to be a paywall around literally everything 
But taking 50% for doing absolutely nothing or almost or, or next to nothing seems like a, a very big missed opportunity and kind of a, a, a jackass move. I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I wish I could put the 100 emoji somehow in, in audio form. Um, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought about this that way where like to me, you know, I, not to go back on this topic, but the, the Apple video service, like to me, yeah, Apple knock yourself out 10 bucks a month, 12 bucks a month, whatever like that. That's an area where maximizing your services revenue makes all the sense in the world. Like there's clearly an appetite out in the world for paying this monthly fee for compelling original content. We've seen it, you know, with a handful of companies and, you know, Apple can feel free to, to play in that space. It makes a lot of sense. But with journalism, there, there does feel like this huge opportunity for a company like Apple, which, you know, continues to pound its chest about all the things it cares about with social equality and with the environment and how they, they kind of want to be this like, holier than holy company where you know tim cook gets on these earnings calls and he had that quote about it not being all about profits all the time or whatever um like this is this is this would be a great opportunity to kind of put up or shut up with that stuff and there there'd be i think there'd be a really and maybe it would be maybe it would kind of just fall in a bit of an echo chamber but i don't know like i, I think it actually would have a chance to break out a little bit this message of Apple becomes a supporter of strong independent journalism and making that ex as accessible as it could be online while also, you know, kind of supporting a viable economic structure for each participating publisher. I think that would be that would be potentially a really interesting story. And it, it does it does feel like a huge missed opportunity because ultimately if Apple tries to just pursue the same strategy with Apple News that they apparently are with with Apple Video or whatever that service ends up being called, like the amount of the the the, the size of the opportunity with Apple News, I can't imagine it would be very big, like from a from a finance perspective. Like it's it seems like the goodwill they could build up through what you had described would be much more valuable than revenue they could bring in from a new service. Yeah, it 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 feels dishonest in a year and like emerging like second half of the decade of 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 bullshit Apple where like there's there's a big like when it, when they're riding high and and, and they like they it's the whole thing with their privacy um commitment where like excluding all the jokes about the FaceTime bug and stuff like that, where Apple is in the position to take a principled stance on privacy because they make all their money on hardware. And right now, even though sales are slipping and they're facing struggles, um, struggles and currency headwinds around the world, they, they, they're still in a pretty dominant position where they share where they have kind of the lion's share of profits in the smartphone manufacturing space. So they can choose to, um, charge enough and also make decisions where they don't have to monetize the user in uh less in kind of unsavory ways because they have that advantage yet there's a whole lot of other spaces where apple will um try to take this weird like like it's kind of like a principled a little bit 
but yeah, like sanctimonious and like holier than thou, like kind of like you said, where like they'll take this position that, you know what, Apple cares about education, Apple cares about music, Apple cares about all these things that are so important to people around the world. Um, and, and, and we're the good, uh, good hearted stewards of that. And, and we're trying to bring a good face to technology and that kind of stuff. But I don't think this really speaks to that. Like, and I'm not saying Apple needs to run a charity here, but it's playing extreme hardball and trying to screw over news publishers because you can say that you have like 900 million phones that you're installed on and that's that's a gigantic uh set of eyeballs that we can get you in front of and that's why you have to pay us this fee as a middleman and like payment processor to get anybody to pay for journalism like they don't have to do that they can offer fair terms because if they actually believe their own nonsense of saying that they're a force for good in society being the one technology company that's not screwing over uh journalism um, and publishing companies like that, that could be their claim to fame. Um, and they could pretend that they're the ones like that they've cracked it. They've found a way to create a sustainable economy for, uh, information and, and reporting yet. They're not going to do that. They're just going to treat this as another profit center and go from there. And this is the thing where Apple news like even when we were talking about a free service where people were worried about, well, Apple's taking a 30% cut on all ads that appear inside articles inside Apple News. Like, I don't know. Like I, Apple needs to figure out where they're going to play hardball and if that's what they want to be. And if they do, they need to become more like Google and stop pretending they believe their own bullshit. Yeah, that's that's well said. 50% chimney. Um <sighs> And the thing is, it kind of makes sense to the point where, like, this is the same point you were making during the um, video channels conversation, which is that there's a lot of small players where they don't have that type of exposure and reach, and it's tough for uh, discoverability and people finding them in the app store. And, like, the um, level of effort required to actually give them money. Like, I mean, there are a lot of small players that would benefit from this. And that if we think about it, not in terms of percentages, and we talk about it in absolute dollars— that you sure this is maybe a good deal, but there's also the large companies similar to Netflix and Hulu. You have the um, the New York Times, you have the Washington Post, maybe the, to a lesser extent the Wall Street Journal, where there are these big brands that maybe don't need it. But like again, this could have just been a really good way to get people to pay for news, which is something that's been extremely, extremely challenging, and it's a lot of the reason why everything's so screwed up. And they chose not to do that. That's a bummer. And and you you highlighted this, and um, I'll just uh, I'll I'll piggyback onto that to, to clarify what I said earlier, and and to make sure Republicans don't come after me for for being a socialist, like apparently half of Democrats are now. Um, Green Deal. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm also not suggesting that Apple should become a charity. I, I don't think that they should subsidize all journalism on the internet but i i do think there's a middle ground that they could very easily strike where they could have more reasonable commercial terms which you know ultimately drive some profit to apple's bottom line but then also support good journalism on the internet and apple seems to have skewed way more towards the 
commercial and, and, and financial side of this, which again, to, to go back to what I said earlier, like on for a video like or for for a service like video or a service like iCloud or you know, a handful of their other services, Apple Music, like makes all the sense in the world. But for for to, to 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 just lump news into that same bucket seems very nearsighted to me. Yeah, they're just like like you said, they're just treating news as another content type. Like Apple Apple used to carry uh, Apple used to care about music. Now they don't and that's why Apple Music's not very good, but they feel that it's a way for them to get $10 a month out of people and it's an extra bit of service revenue that they can use their position of market dominance and having a captive install base to shove that product down people's throats. And that's why they continue to send push alerts, even if you're not a subscriber, breaking their own app store rules to try to get people to sign up for this. So they can treat it as a money-making vehicle, but they don't need to. It doesn't mean they, they have to run it at a loss or as a charity, but they, they could treat it differently and they don't want to, which is fine. But again, they need, they need to uh, sort out their messaging and stop talking out of both sides of their mouth. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Well, luckily we we can cross the <laughs> the Apple spam push notifications thing out of there. <laughs> Killing three birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with and with that, two local papers uh, close their doors during that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's. Um, how about this? How about we let let's get to the what I think I I've you know just to pat myself on the back here have creatively called in our notes the rotating red light collection which bit of inside baseball we we denote what we think are very important topics in our slack channel with the rotating red light emoji or at least what slack calls the rotating red light i don't know if that's how it's universally known but yeah it's colon rot enter so yeah yeah. (laughs) um Uh, we we do have to get back to the angela aaron's thing but yes yeah we we can we can we can throw that in here as well yes Oh, it, oh, man, it feels like forever ago. Amazon bought Eero. Uh Yeah, so that that's what we have number one on the, the list here, um, which I'm going to, um, I'm going to, the first thing I'm going to put in the notes for this is that push notification that you received, which I described as the uh, Peloton. Uh, how, how do you pronounce it? Is it? Is it Peloton? Is that not right? <laughs> uh, I don't think so, but that's, that's. Pel- how, how do you pronounce it? Peloton? Oh. Pachkowski, or however you said his name. <laughs> um, oh, get off my ass, whatever. I didn't uh, say anything. <laughs> um, I'm going like, to put this in the notes anyway. <laughs> you better not edit that out. No, no, I'm going to edit all that out. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm lazy. I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah, a- Amazon acquired Eero. Um, very interesting as someone who uh, is is now kind of deep in the Eero ecosystem for for better or worse um i guess i have somewhat mixed feelings about it i i I can't say that i'm super apprehensive but i also can't say i'm super excited um yeah I, i don't i don't really know how to feel although i guess if um Eero Plus somehow either like goes away or gets folded into my Amazon Prime subscription and I, and I no longer have to be badgered with ads to sign up for it every time I open the Eero app then Are you? 
not every time, but yeah, I'd say one out of every about five times I open the Eero app, I get some kind of screen that's like, hey, Eero Plus now featuring this new feature. Would you like to sign up? Gross. No, I just literally want to check what the IP address is on this device on my network. Leave me alone, please. Yeah, so with this, um, I have no skin in the game because I'm a weirdo that has enterprise ubiquity stuff because I gave up on Eero. Not, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I just don't have a big enough place for a mesh network to be that useful to me. So therefore, I prefer more control and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I was really, one, I was really surprised because I didn't think Eero was necessarily like a big acquisition target yet. Like, you know how there's like some tech companies where you're like, oh, they're just riding out the clock to hopefully get acquired by somebody. Eero didn't necessarily seem like that. And it kind of felt like if anybody was going to do it, Apple might, but because they seemed like a very Apple-ish company, but Apple's too busy overcharging newspapers. So I, I, so it came out and that was a big surprise. And then I honestly, I know there's a lot of skepticism and I'm not sure distrust is too strong a word and it's kind of increasingly accurate. I was very surprised at how negative and um, skeptical so many people were about the news, of how they had really, really thought that this is another way, uh, this is another data data mining operation that Apple, or that Apple, that Amazon is running, and they're going to leverage all the stuff they have through Amazon.com and AWS, and now they would have, have access to almost all the traffic going through your network. And yeah, just how distrustful people are about Amazon. Even though so many, and, and these are many of the same people that have echoes in their home and stuff like that where they're just super distrustful of amazon and they they felt like this was one of the worst possible outcomes of an acquisition of eero yeah i'm I'm sure this is not an original thought but isn't it it's interesting how i'm companies at large but specifically with tech companies how they there's like this cycle where they're beloved through kind of the earlier part of their life cycle like think of like maybe facebook a handful of years ago or like what immediately popped in my head as i was kind of formulating this thought just now is like slack today like putting aside their awful new logo like everybody loves slack like nobody thinks of slack as being like evil in any kind of way Um, like nobody would be super bummed out if slack bought a company uh, like I think there'd be like this kind of faith that they would they'd probably have a reason to do so and make it better. But like <laughs> there comes this point where like I don't know if, if a company just gets too big or if it has one too many bad stories or whatever. But there's like there's like this tipping point where all of a sudden sentiment turns against them and then like almost everything they do is bad. And I I do I agree with you a hundred percent that like I think. I feel like Amazon has just kind of crossed that threshold too, where like it wasn't that long ago where it was like, yeah, Amazon, like I love my Amazon Prime subscription. Amazon's great to the point now where there's a lot more skepticism towards them. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to go with the fact that uh, there's like they have too much, they have too much power. Well, and and a lot of it's like, like a lot of them are just doing really shitty stuff. Like, I mean, you have to think like like if people didn't know about the conditions at a lot of Amazon warehouses and stuff like that, or some of the employment practices of Amazon, 
or the ways they've squeezed their vendors and the people who sell stuff on Amazon. Like there's a lot of stuff that's not entirely say like wholesome about the company. And I, I think of a certain size, you stop getting a pass on a lot of that stuff and you it becomes seen as abusing your market position or just general corporate malfeasance. So yeah, they've now bought a Wi-Fi company. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the the only upside here, or like I guess the best possible result is that there's some new combo. Um, like there's a whole new line of Echo Spots that are actually mesh base stations. Whereas every room that you have a Echo inside of, you can get this new premium version that has um, a Wi-Fi extender built in, which would be cool. That would be neat. And I, I, something I'd also like to see Amazon try to be able to do, which I'm, I'm sure they'll be able to do, is also bring some of the price on this stuff down. And that's always been my <laughs> issue with Eero. Is I, I mean, I've, I've had my ups and downs with them, as listeners of this show know. But like ultimately, I think they're really good devices. But by far and away, the, the number one problem with them is they're just they're too damn expensive for what they are. And there's... It was, I guess it kind of worked maybe earlier in their life cycle where they were kind of one of the first nicely packaged mesh network systems out there. But I mean, there's, there's a lot of them now and I'm not really sure what they bring to the table that justifies them being a lot more expensive than a lot of their competitors. So it'd be, it'd be good to see Amazon, uh, bring, bring their, the prices down on some of that stuff a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. And as I just sent you, as as the company that invented the six pack of Amazon Fire tablets, <laughs> I think you can trust yeah, that right. Amazon will try to drive the price down of anything they acquire. Right. Yeah. If they could, if they could put a Fire TV stick inside of Cracker Jacks, they would. Um. So yeah, that's uh, that's Amazon acquires Eero. Uh, real quick, it, I totally forgot I put this in here. Yeah, let's talk about Mozilla containers for a second. So. Actually, this, this, we were talking about companies that do bad things. So I, I finally uninstalled Facebook from my mobile devices. Not because I think that's doing a whole ton, but I, I, just, I just don't need it there. And because of how invasive Facebook's ad tracking is on the internet, I also logged out of Facebook on uh, my main browser. And I was like, okay, you know what? Like in case, like for the once a week, I just kind of want to see what people are up to and see if there's any like cute family photos and stuff. Like, I do want Facebook somewhere. So I'm like, you know, I haven't used Firefox in like eight years. So let me install that. And Mozilla actually made a really cool feature inside of the newer version of Firefox where there are separate containers where you can choose a specific tab and just say like, you know, this is my Facebook tab. And it doesn't exist like these cookies and this login session don't extend beside like outside the walls of this tab hmm. which is really really cool and i know google will never do it because it's not in their interest because they are a gigantic ad company but i was like holy shit that's brilliant i'm never gonna use firefox as my main browser but that's awesome so yeah so that's really cool huh that is i i had no idea what this topic was and I, i'm i'm kind of glad it wasn't spoiled because yeah, that's really, really cool. Yeah, and, and new Firefox doesn't suck as much as, like, I mean, 
Because remember, like we and I think we've talked about it on the show where Firefox, like when it originally came out, like it was it was this four megabyte browser. It was a breath of fresh air when Internet Explorer was the was a cancer on the internet. Like it was, it was very good, and then it got crappy for a while. And and the Mac version was never very good to the point where there was a separate project called Camino that was a Mac centric version of Firefox that eventually got discontinued. So yeah, they've made it better now. It's still not a perfect Mac application, but it but it's fine. But yeah, but this particular feature is outstanding. Um, so yeah, really, really happy about that. So that allows me to silo away my Facebook usage. Um, and yeah, I, I don't miss Facebook. But the follow-up, well, do you have anything related to that or just it's nifty? That's very nifty. Cool. So the one thing that I did notice, and I, and I was like, fucking Facebook. So I uninstalled... Uh, the Facebook iOS app from all my devices. And it's been about a week and a half. And just yesterday, I started getting text messages from Facebook saying, what was it? Uh, Carlos, your friends shared 61 updates this week. Uh, post your own. And I didn't give permission, uh, Facebook permission to text me or the fact that they were tracking the fact that I was no longer using it on mobile. So now they're using SMS to get me back or to, uh, or to try to incentivize me to use it again. That's kind of lame. That's really bad. Oh, but it's fine. And the thing is, they only know my phone number because I'm trying to be a good security person where I want two-factor authentication, and they can't do that without my phone number. So that allows them to do that. Mm. Perfect. Um, yeah, okay. So Mozilla containers, pretty cool. So yeah, so you, um, I, I forgot what what the thing was, but I think you, like when you first got your Series 4 Apple Watch, you sent me a, a, a screenshot of your watch face and we were comparing it. And I remember being very alarmed by the number of dots on it. And apparently that has changed. I think that was the impetus of this. Yeah, so you... Like it was just like a sea of like 18 different dots and like half of it was streaks <laughs> and half of it was carrot weather. And I was like, what, how, how do you not just... I think it was cringe. It, it was more like you know seven eighths of the dots were carrot weather, and the other eighth were was uh, streaks. Uh, yeah, so the the carrot weather app, which I really really like, and which I I think is the best weather app if you consistently access weather information on your Apple Watch, has this complication for the Apple Watch Series Four in the for the modular face or the um the in infograph modular that's what it's called right um for the center slot of that watch face where you can look at weather data for i think it's like the next 8 or 10 hours and the weather you know whether it's going to be sunny partially cloudy rainy is expressed in these little dots which are you know colored blue if there's rain colored yellow if it's sunny etc and I actually kind of always liked it, but could understand like your perspective, how that it's a little bit busy. Um, and so there was a uh, update put out, I think it was, it was last week now, where that center slot complication is now a little bit customizable, where you can still have the, the dots, or you now have this new option where um, you sacrifice a little bit of the um length of the forecast i think if you select the second option you only get to see like five hours of activity but 
that 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 information is displayed in a little bit more of I think a graphically nice way where there's now symbols to de- denote whether it's going to be you know sunny rainy etc and then there's a little bar graph behind the symbol which represents the percentage chance of rain during that hour so it, it's still I, I would still describe it as a little busy but I mean, I'd like to get your take on this, but I think it's a little more visually pleasing than the the dots were. I, I think it looks pretty good. Like I, I personally would not, I, I don't find enough value in weather to have it that prominently on my, on my watch face, but I think it looks so much better than the old one to the point where I actually think visually like it, it adds a lot. Like if, if the weather's important to you, it, um, gives you a lot of detail without screaming like here's a bunch of temperatures and percentages and um like precipitation probability and stuff like that looks nice yeah i think so i i whether the weather complication on my apple watch is i guess a little well not to use a bad pun here but a little complicated in the sense that like during this time of year where you know kind of rain is is a thing i find you know, particularly hourly forecasts to be pretty useful during the summer in California in particular, like hourly updates of the weather are quite a bit less useful. So I I, I could see as we transition into like spring, maybe not having this be in the center slot of my watch face. But again, I I think this time of year, there's, there's some value there. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a huge fan of dark sky, so I I don't know how that fits into things. Um, if you've ever given that a shot, well, so, I mean, so you can I mean you can actually select dark sky as the um, data that comes into Carrot Weather. You can choose. I think there's like three options if you're a subscriber to Carrot Weather. I think you can use Weather Underground, Dark Sky, or I forget what the other option is. It's like just Weather.com or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, definitely an improvement. Um, the dots are gone. Yeah, no, the dots are still there. <laughs> streaks is still there. <laughs> I Maybe you can help me. I cannot find a way to get streaks to stick. Uh, yeah, I, I continue to be really surprised at how it's stuck with me. I, <laughs> That's I, not helpful. I, yeah, I know. But it, it's um, because I, I went in. Well, maybe this will be helpful. I went into it <laughs> really not thinking it was going to be useful, and that it would be another one of the thousand things that I've tried, stuck to for thirteen days, and then given up on. Um, but but no, I mean it's been it's been like a couple years now, and I use it every single day, and I I still. When I don't complete a task, I'm like, damn it. And it, it doesn't necessarily, it's not like I don't complete something one day and then like instantly, you know, get better at it, which you're someone who uh, were friends on uh, our Apple watches. So you, <laughs> you can see my activity or lack thereof, uh, especially over the last few months. But it's still in the back of my head. Like it's still kind of nagging at me a little bit, which I do think is really, really useful. 
So let me, let me ask a couple questions. Or like, do uh, a few things. Do you let it send you notifications? No, absolutely not. Okay. So then when do you check it? Like, do you just before bed, you just like, here's my review of the day? Or like, when do you update it's, it? It's, uh, kind of, it's, it's kind of perpetual. So hmm. the, I mean, the, the one notification I do allow is the, the badge icon. Because for some reason, that still is a notification option in iOS. It's not separately split out. But anyway, um, it's only one of two apps that I allow badges for, which is OmniFocus and Streaks. So there's a constant reminder throughout the day how many uncompleted tasks I have. And then same with the Apple Watch complication. You know, it's a constant reminder. Every time I look at my watch, I can see how many of my tasks I've completed and and how many I haven't. So it's kind of a perpetual thing throughout the day. So I have a couple, so follow-up questions, and you can decline to answer this if it's too personal, but how many of your tasks don't like can be completed before the day's over? Because most of mine are like, did I either do something like throughout the entire day or not do something throughout the entire day. So therefore I wouldn't really be able to complete it until the day's over. Um, I mean, I guess I, I guess I kind of have some that are like that. I mean, even like a really simple one, like one of mine is flossing. I don't think that's too personal. Mm-hmm. You know that I don't floss until like, that's like the one of the last things I do before going to bed. So, so yeah, that does just sit, you know, incomplete until the end of the day, but then that kind of acts as like a friendly reminder. What's an example of one that you would complete before the end of the day? Uh, f- filling my um, activity ring. Uh, okay. I have, I, have, well, I, have, I have one that's uh, drinking a certain amount of water every day. I can complete that earlier in the day. Okay. All right. One, one I have one that's just exercise. I can complete that any time of the day. Oft, often don't, but <laughs> I can, in theory. Turns out. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, yeah, that's, yeah. It's, you know, it's... Consistency um, is hard. It's, um, yeah, but and also like, and this, not to get too Merlin Man here, but but I, I this this is this is I'm so interested in what's happening. No, this is really good advice from him, which is it's just you know not it's the same set of advice isn't going to work for everybody. Like you you can't follow the same like New Year's resolution thing that everybody else does. Like you just have to find a system that works for you. Like not everybody's going to be inbox zero. And I think streaks and OmniFocus too for sure. Like. I would never judge anybody for having systems like that not be for them because it, it's highly, highly personal. Um, for me, both OmniFocus and Streaks are a highly, highly effective way to to at least try to keep me a little bit more on track than I otherwise would be. But again, I, you know, I totally get how that's not going to be the case for everybody. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Oh, anything else? Yeah. I think we should maybe want to do the Angela Arnst story and then we'll get to Chef's Corner. Or is there anything else you want to pull forward here? (laughs) I thought you said that wasn't a term. 
Uh, it, it is now. I, 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 we, we, uh, please do me a favor and put a pin in the Spotify podcasting thing. Oh yeah, Cause, let's. Because I feel that, like there, yeah. I feel like there's something there, but I actually don't really know yet. Okay, so yeah, let's um, let's let that uh, marinate or uh, sit in the sous vide machine for another week. Yeah, parking lot that. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, the oh, this gonna be out the all Apple show. So yes, Angela Arons. Um. Is oh, wait, did, no... I, did I did I pronounce her name wrong too? <laughs> uh, Peloton. Sorry, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Do you like you like that picture that I sent you? That was fun, Ooh. right? Which one? That was, so I was in a mall. Oh, and I thought it, this was at an airport, and I was like, "Are this is how they're going to cage the rich people?" <laughs> <laughs> it was it was in a shopping mall, and but it, it looks like a cage. It it was a cage. That that was what was so perplexing about it is. It was like a, a pop-up store in a mall, like in the center of the the main walkway, which is, is super common. There were a handful of other vendors that had, you know, other pop-up like setups. So that that like that in in principle is fine, but yeah, it was literally a like steel cage that they had a couple of bikes, and I, I guess I guess they sell a treadmill now. Of um, course they do. So they, yeah, they they had these set up and. It, but it, what was what was crazy was like it was like a nice hardwood floor, like everything about everything else about the setup and in, in very um, Peloton is that Peloton whatever. <laughs> You're still pronouncing it the same way. Uh, it was all very you know immaculate as you'd expect, except for the fact that it was just in a steel cage. Very very strange. But anyway. Do you remember the Do you remember the time when Google had a barge that was sitting off the coast? Yes, of, or not the coast. It was just sitting in the bay, and it was supposed to be a place where people went and saw Google Glass. They had to get rid of it, right? Like, didn't didn't they not get the permits or something they needed for it? Correct. Yeah. Oh, just putting putting rich people in a cage to make them work out feels like the same <laughs> thing as as a barge for your face computer. Um, yeah, could be a show title. Um. Yeah, that that would that that was a little that was a little weird. It, it's it's very unmarine like where at least we have our uh, Peloton. Uh, God damn it, Peloton <laughs> st- uh, Peloton store next to the Tesla dealership across from the uh, Apple store. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> the, the, the trifecta. It. Yeah, yeah. Although, unfortunately, that June oven store closed down. What a shame. Holy cow! Did it have a standalone store? Yeah, I thought I, I could have sworn I sent you a picture. Though. Oh, maybe it, you it, did. Yeah, like, or and, maybe I didn't. Maybe it didn't register to me that that was actually like a standalone store and not just like a, a store within a store. No, like I don't know if it was like a temporary pop up thing, but it was like a legitimate retail outlet for that thousand dollar oven that has a camera in it and is not a very good oven. Hmm. You know why? Like why? Why we just need more, we need more Breville stores. We don't need anything else. Um, yeah, so the Angela Harris, that's, that's what we're talking about. Uh, she is no, she has either retired or left the company. Like, what was the official departure thing? Did they, did Apple give an official thing of saying why she was leaving or just that Deirdre O'Brien is taking over? Uh, Apple's exact quote was that she is stepping down from her current role for new personal and professional pursuits. It's kind of the only thing that could happen if you... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, she had the job for like four or five years. Um. And there's been like, 
I assume if anybody listens to this, they, they've also they also listen to other technology podcasts, and people have discussed this to death. And that like the, the the gist of it on like the the best takes I've heard about this is that Angela Ernst was brought in when Apple was maybe thinking of how it might branch out and be a different company, where she uh, stepped into the role maybe a year and a half before the Apple Watch um, was going to be rolled out, and maybe different. Uh, changes were required at the Apple Store to supplement and uh, assist in their want to be more of a fashion brand and to try to make that whole thing play out smoother. In the same way that you had all those like fancy, um, do you remember when the Apple Watch came out and like a month and a half before pre-orders opened, you could actually do like a fitting and a try-on? Oh yeah. I so I assume that. that like that was one of her projects, like beyond the whole, like all the jokes about the town square and, and the, all the trees at the genius grove and stuff like that. Like there, there were a lot of other uh, changes that were made. And, and I think that was one of them. And during her tenure, I don't know how much of it was hers, but like Apple made a lot of improvements where they um, were able to far more effectively integrate the online store and the retail stores so that in-store pickup and self-checkout and all that kind of stuff were easy to do. The iPhone upgrade program was implemented and really, really quickly iterated upon where I think, because you're a part of that program, right? I am since day one. And you found it initially not a great experience, but it's actually been smoothed out to where it's really, really fast and good now, right? Yes. Yeah. So like all those things happened under her tenure. And they've redesigned tons and tons of Apple stores. They introduced the Today at Apple thing where... um stores and major metro areas actually have like big time creative people in their field who will give presentations and that kind of stuff. But I guess more of the question it now is, is that what Apple needs their retail stores to be? Is she the right person to lead them? Is she departing on her own? Is this uh, like the job fit is no longer working for either party? Just a lot of stuff like that. And it's just kind of interesting that this came out when there wasn't really much rumblings around um, a shakeup in retail. And also that this has now been like an opportunity for everybody to have an opinion about Apple retail and they'll see whatever they want to see in this news. I don't know. I, I found that to be the most interesting part of all this. So I don't, I don't want to fall into the trap that we just described on this very episode about tying every Apple story to the decline of iphone sales and i'm that's not exactly what i'm gonna do here but it <laughs> but 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 hear me out good covering your butt yeah um you know i'm so self-conscious now about pronouncing anybody's name on this show a angela wait it wasn't it was there a name or was yeah. it just peloton well i think it was both because i completely butchered uh john Oh, but he has a really I keep wanting to say I want to I keep wanting to say Krasinski, but that different different John. No, he he's he's that guy in that really scary uh, Amazon show. <laughs> it's good. You should well actually no, you should no. You should you, you wouldn't like it. I would really not. Um Ernst? Is that uh now I'm afraid to pronounce it. I thought it was Aaron's. Aaron's. Okay. Yeah. She joined the company at literally at at a time where iPhones were selling themselves. 
and Apple retail like could almost literally not be more profitable than it was. Like, it isn't the famous thing about Apple retail is it's like the most valuable per square foot of like any retail company in the world. And so they had a lot of equity to play with where they could afford to be really experimental with what they were doing in the stores. And to be blunt about it, really not even put a whole lot of effort into driving sales because, again, their number one product was basically just selling itself. So they had a lot of opportunity to kind of branch out and plant trees and offer classes and do all this other town square stuff that they've done. But now that sales are not where they used to be, and now there's clearly going to have to be more of a focus on doing things like the iPhone trade-in program and focusing even more on the iPhone upgrade program and and really having more of a focus on sales and not all this other kind of softer stuff that they were previously doing like that's probably just not in her wheelhouse she's probably capable of it way more than capable of it i mean she you know was head of one of the most successful successful fashion retailers in the world but it's probably just not really her core interest and so it seems like there's there's probably just a there was probably just a mutual understanding here that apple's going to have to start focusing on some other things in retail and there's just not a there's not a shared interest there um yeah that's probably fair because like and and that's the thing where um this was a, another thing on upgrade where they brought up the fact that um a Deirdre Bolton was not always the uh whatever their title for head of HR is and that she used to be for a very long time an operations person and that and that is one of the things where if we're now going to go into a world where Apple feels that they need to pretend iPhone 10 Rs are $450 when they're actually 750 because they're using um creative trade-in programs and stuff to offset the cost of that that's not really going to be um the best thing for somebody who's more of building a lifestyle brand and trying to make it uh, a place where people want to hang out and and who's really leaning hard into the concept of a third place like uh like aaron's was if you're somebody who wants to do that kind of stuff you need to be a really 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 strong operations person who finds a way to um streamline the process to make it as quick as humanly possible to trade in your old device and buy a new one and integrate financing programs to make these really expensive phones seem less expensive. And that's something that maybe she wouldn't be the right fit for because it turns out like maybe the Apple watch, which is maybe one of her bigger projects is not a fashion accessory. It's just another tech product that's getting better but it's not necessarily as fashion forward as people would have thought sure there's the hermes edition but other than that like people are just fine buying the nike sport one in gray and that's all they need and they don't need to try on any of that kind of stuff well but i think even like beyond the the fashion part i mean yeah I, I think that's part of it but clearly a handful of years ago there was a desire for apple retail to be more than just a place that you bought an iPhone there was there was kind of this aspirational attitude towards like making it a place that people hung out and took classes and you know 
enjoy trees. Mm-hmm. But but now now Apple's not in a position where that's really where they can be focusing their efforts or where they maybe should be focusing their efforts. And instead, they kind of need to, as you're famous for saying, pivot back towards just kind of treating their retail stores like retail stores and making the retail experience be as good as it can be. Yeah, the the one thing I will push back on that on, or not push back, but but maybe add context and for something for people to think about, and I haven't heard this a ton from other takes on this, is that Apple grew an insane amount during her tenure. And I think no matter who was there, it would have been really hard for like there are a lot of different ways you could have taken to handle the increased number of customers that they now have to service. And no matter who was there, like it was either you did a lot of the creative stuff that she did and trying to streamline the online versus in-store purchasing experience, um, or you just build three times the number of stores and then you take a hit on all those like uh, fancy statistics of being the highest square footage retailer and stuff like that. So I don't know, like it, it's just whether somebody wants to rate her uh, tenure in that role and they're just bummed that the Apple store is really busy or that it takes a long time to get an appointment and that kind of stuff. Like the context has to be that Apple is now serving such an astonishing number of customers who all have these products and that no matter who's there, if you're not doing it in an opinion in opinionated way, like it's, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's really seems like a really hard job in um, a role that doesn't necessarily have an obvious solution of, of where you take it. Well, I, yeah, I, I agreed, but I, I do think maybe there, there is a bit of a direction that they should take it. I know like the analogy that I'm like kind of trying to develop in real time here is sort of like the, super successful startup that when they really hit and when you know revenues quadrupling every year and they start like rolling out all these crazy perks for employees and they kind of maybe get away from focusing on just kind of like the core employee experience and what really matters and then all of a sudden one day growth has kind of slowed down and there's pressure to bring down costs and they start taking back some of that taking away some of that frivolous stuff and again kind of getting getting back to the core core things that really matter to employees day in and day out kind of feels like maybe that's what's happening with apple retail where in the heyday it was fun to like try all this different experimental stuff and try to become this aspirational location for people but like now that there isn't this just huge iPhone cushion to fall back on. Maybe now we should really just focus on like the core retail experience and making that as good as it can be. Yes, but I don't think they will. Like I guess I guess it's like I guess what I'm saying is like it's it's easy to call your stores town squares when like the retail part of it, like I was saying in the beginning, basically runs itself. But when that becomes harder and when selling each each incremental iPhone becomes a little harder and requires a lot more attention, then it's a lot harder to go out and like do all this other stuff. 
and maybe maybe all that other stuff becomes stuff you really shouldn't be doing and you should instead focus on that core experience i agree 75 percent on that I, I think apple for all its faults as in there are many we've talked about this episode that like i don't know like they they get to be aspirational that type of thing because like the the opposite of this is like if you scale up and you're just like we just need to get better at serving the vast number of customers we have and that means opening four times as many stores like there becomes a point when you scale up a business so much where it becomes really difficult to maintain quality control and ensure that the experience is as good as it once was I don't know. I, I just feel like it. That's a really tough challenge. It no, with without a doubt, and you know, I am, I'm, I'm super biased in this conversation because all of this extracurricular stuff Apple's done with retail is like it's so not for me. Like, I just, I just want to go into an Apple store. Well, I mean, actually, I don't even want to go into an Apple store. I just want to have new Apple products <laughs> shipped to me in my home like the only time i really go into apple stores is when for whatever reason i can't get something online um but like when i do go into the store like i literally just want to pick it up and get out like i don't well so so that's the thing where i think is somebody who's going to do this job well is somebody who can understand both sides of that where you want apple stores to be a place where people just pass by and think oh that's a brand i love and i want to just stop in and see what's new and then you can also balance that with the I want to learn something cool. I need something serviced and also serving the people who just want to get in and get the fuck out. Like I, I think if you're, if you're running an effective retail operation, you can serve all those. Right. Yep. Yeah. And then rounding this out, uh, I, I don't know if I should take it off the menu, but I might have to remove, um, Angela's drink from my, from my restaurant. Oh, what was her drink? Uh, let me get a link. Um, it was called the town square. Hmm. And yeah, and it's uh, the description is that uh, we ran the numbers. Customer sat is off the charts. Just ask, ask Tim. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a bummer. I hope I hope they I hope they figure it out because Apple stores, yeah, it's important to the company. Oh yeah, w- w- without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. All right. Do we have any chef specials? I do. Yay. Um. So I have spent years, probably ever since this was first introduced, kind of mocking it and really questioning what its its purpose was. Hmm. This is the Home app. So, so I mentioned during the holidays that I used the Home app to kind of tie together all of the different smart switches that made my Christmas light setup possible. And it, that was like the first time I had ever actually used the home app. And as I was setting that up, I there were just lots of little moments. Like I was like, man, this is actually like really well thought out and really nicely designed. Some of the UI elements aren't the best, but like overall, this is actually a really powerful, nicely put together app. And so since Christmas, I've I've kind of started playing a little bit more with it, and really specifically the automation part of it. Because like the the problem with something like like I'll use the hue lights as as a good example here. So like there's some location aware stuff that they can do with turning lights on and off as you come and go from your home. 
but like something that it doesn't do is um, multi-person location awareness or like you there's some like Hue labs plugin you can install that like tries to make this work but i just i never really have wanted to go down that road whereas like the home app has some really really smart location aware features where you can have multiple people involved you can have certain lights come on at a certain time of day if someone is home or if just your home or if just your partner is home like you can specify certain people or groups of people you can have actions occur when you come and go and so you have like this whole powerful automation system and then the best part of it is it works with any device that um, plugs into home, which is becoming, I think, a little bit more common, especially now that Apple's somewhat relaxed their their HomeKit requirements. So, like, it, it completely eliminates the concern about, like, well, like this this smart plug supports you know this automation or this location aware feature, but then like this other one doesn't. Like it, so it like it at the home app like ties everything together in a really elegant way which is kind of what I already knew with that Christmas lights experience. But then I guess what I didn't know and what I'm learning more now is it's a really, really powerful and also really intuitive app. Like what I've experienced is like every, every feature that I that has kind of like popped into my head as I've been setting things up, it's there. And it's like, oh yeah, okay, here's exactly how you do it. So yeah, you know, apologies to the home app for for bagging on it all these years. It's actually it's it's pretty darn good. I, I think you briefly touched upon this, but is it easy to share a home configuration with another person in the household? Su- super easy. Yeah. But like everything you've already customized is available to them. A- exactly. Yep. That's pretty good. Yeah, then they I, I, I haven't dug into this super carefully, but I think the way it works is they they can't edit existing automations that you've shared with them, but then I think they can create their own. Although, I, again, I'm not... There might be some extra layer of, like, permissions involved there. I, I haven't played around with that a ton. But yes, when you when you share your home with someone, all of the automations show up so they, they can see the exact behavior and everything. And it's also like it it's it's nice too where like with the location stuff I mean that that's really what I've been kind of focused on so that's why I'm I'm talking about it so much but um it's kind of nice to not have to like share your location with like 18 different apps it's nice to be able to just share it in one and then have all of your you know different devices then hook into that do you find that it's wasted effort because that stuff doesn't translate to the echo no, I actually I really don't. Um and actually the um the Echo devices now, they have location-based routines you can set up, but I as far as I know, there's no multi-person support there. Um which is which is kind of a, a big thing when you're setting up home stuff. Um but no, I to me I find the Echo stuff and the HomeKit stuff to be very complementary i mean there's 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 definitely a little bit of an initial burden around um setup i i guess maybe there's a little bit of duplication of efforts there and like in an absolutely perfect world like 
Siri wouldn't suck and the home pod wouldn't be $8,000 and I would, you know, just use home pods and then I would literally set up everything once and then it would all be one part of one ecosystem. I mean, I guess maybe that would be a little bit better, but, um, but no, I, I don't find that to be, I, I find those to work together pretty well. Hmm. Oh, cool. Um, and mine, it, this is kind of a half-hearted pick, but this is just something that's been floating around for a while. Um, using YouTube to find videos to repair things or to learn anything. Because somebody on the internet has uh, decided to take something apart or do something to help you out and show you how to do something. So that's, uh, yeah, it's mainly it. So in my specific instance is that I had a um, a brawn electric shaver that uh, was partially broken. And I had it for about four years. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to resign myself to buying another one. And it was it was pretty good. So... Uh, but nope, I was able to look up a quick YouTube video to find the thing that wasn't working and that it was actually a common fix. I was able to take a couple of Torx screwdrivers, take it apart, and put it back together, and it's 100% fixed now. And that saved me $200. So, yeah, there's tons of nerds and and cool people, and especially very, very handy people uh, on the internet uh, that have chosen to use their uh, skills and uh, interests for good. See, not not everything on the internet's bad. It's not, but then you open Twitter and then it is. <laughs> and then you find that their CEO uses an iPad Pro for oh. work and and then he's and then he's got a uh Ted Cruz beard. I I I can't even. <laughs> <laughs>